0: In uh, December of 2018, just a year ago, many statesmen, diplomats, dignitaries, and politicians from both sides of the aisle gathered together in Washington, D.C. to reflect on the life of George H.W. Bush. Uh, During the funeral of George Bush, many reflected on the lifelong faithful service of this man to the country to which he dearly loved. George Bush was a Navy pilot in World War II. George Bush was a congressman. He was the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. I should get that right. And he was the vice president of the United States, and then ultimately he was the president of the United States. And as many people gathered there, and as they reflected on his life, and as many people spoke about his service to his country, Many people were no doubt inspired, and they were amazed at the faithful, lifelong service of this man. That amazement and inspiration stirred within many people, including myself, a desire to serve their country, a desire to, to uh, give of oneself to a cause that was greater than themselves. But in a much similar fashion, in a much more profound way, Paul asked young Timothy to reflect on his life of faithful service. He asked young Timothy to reflect on his lifelong faithful service to see what it looks like, as we'll see in the text today, from a a present, a past, and a future perspective. And as we've talked about for many uh, weeks and even months now here at Mention, and as we've been teaching through 2 Timothy, Timothy was growing weary in the trials of pastoral ministry. It was getting tough. And no doubt, Timothy was struggling and possibly being tempted with giving up, giving in, and just walking away from the ministry altogether. Yet, Paul asked Timothy to reflect on his life, Paul's life, to cede the faithful service not to his country, but to his God. And by doing so, hopefully Timothy would be inspired and amazed himself to continue on in ministry and pick up where Paul was leaving off. And as Timothy considered what a life of faithful service looked like, and as he reviewed and looked at the text as we're reading today, he would have seen three things in the text. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's take a look at this. The first thing that we see in a life that is marked by faithful service is sacrifice. When Paul tells Timothy to look at the present aspect of his life in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, a drink offering followed the burnt offering and the grain offerings. It was the final culminating offering. Well, this will be Paul's final and culminating offering to God, Paul's very own life. And though Paul, throughout his entire life and ministry, was was one to give a sacrifice over and over throughout his entire ministry, he now comes to this final drink offering, this final culminating drink offering of his very life. And as Paul is sitting in his prison cell there in the Mamertine prison in Rome, death is so near to him that he can almost hear the footsteps of the executioner at the door. And as he's in that setting, and as he's in that moment, Paul intimately knows what sacrifice looks like. He's intimately reflecting on what that drink offering, that final culminating offering looks like. And in that moment, maybe perhaps Paul's thinking about the words of Jesus As we read in Luke 9, when Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Perhaps maybe also Paul was reflecting on Jesus' words in John 12 when he says, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. But the scriptures just go on and on. There's so many that Paul was perhaps thinking about and considering as he was in that prison cell. But the, the scriptures go on and on of the realities that to serve God faithfully, it requires sacrifice. And many times that sacrifice is no doubt and no less than sacrifice of one's very own self. Though Paul was hoping to see Timothy just one more time before his life ended, it is altogether possible that Paul did not get to see Timothy. And as Timothy receives this letter from Paul, the reality of that sets in, perhaps Timothy is sitting here reading this letter and he is reflecting on Paul's life. But he understood, Timothy intimately understood that a faithful life, a life of faithful service equals sacrifice. And also as, as Timothy's reflecting on the lives of all of the apostles that lived and suffered and possibly died for most of them, if not all of them, he took this verse to be quite literal. He took this verse to be quite literal in the fact that sacrifice equals sometimes and many times your very own life. And so though we can apply that text of to take up your cross daily and to follow me, though we can apply that text in many different ways, the reality of it is, the meaning of it was to do just that, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus was to die. That's what they had in their minds. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor spy of World War II, states this. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. And that's exactly what Bonhoeffer did. He died in prison at the hands of the Nazis for ultimately serving Christ. The missionary Jim Elliott, who died while trying to reach the Akua Indians, stated this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So when you look at this life of faithful service from Paul, does it stir the affections within you Does it stir your affections to make the appropriate sacrifices daily to follow Christ, to serve him faithfully? Are you clinging to what you cannot keep? Are you willing to sacrifice to gain what you cannot lose? Think about that. Think about that. Because Paul did, and Timothy ultimately would as well, as he died as a martyr there in Ephesus. Because if you desire to live a life of faithful service to Christ, you must be willing to make that sacrifice. You must be willing, willing to lay down your life. Now, thankfully, our salvation is not contingent upon our martyrdom. Our salvation is not contingent upon what we do. Our salvation is contingent upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ and him and him alone. However, however, it should be our desire and it should be our heart to please God and to love him so much in such a way that nothing comes even close, not even our very own lives. You know, sacrifice is defined as to give up something, uh, something for, that is important or valued for the sake of other considerations. Or simply put, this means more, thus I am giving this up. You know, so to make a sacrifice is not really truly a sacrifice because what we gain is so much more greater value. Paul would say that he counts everything valuable to him as nothing compared to Christ. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss, because, what, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus meant more to Paul than his own life. He was so much greater value that his life was nothing. It was not really a sacrifice to Paul. It was a no-brainer. Ultimately, Paul would say in Philippians 21, he would say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so he he viewed his life as nothing. His life was nothing compared to Christ. He was of so much greater value, it was nothing to him. But our entire lives should be looked at as a sacrifice, not just the, the sacrifice of our lives at the head or at a a chopping block where our heads would be decapitated or, or on a cross, but our lives daily should be a sacrifice. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 through 2, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ and then looking back at the text of Luke when Jesus tells us to take up our cross, Luke gives us that extra nuance that we are to do it daily so it is the Lord's things it is the sacrifice of that drink offering, that that final culminating offering of our life, but it is the small things as well. It is the things that we do daily. And so when you choose serving Christ over other things, even good things, that, my friends, is a sacrifice. And so when you choose a mission trip over a vacation, that's a sacrifice. When you choose to disrupt your Saturday to go visit a brother or a sister in a hospital, though you had other plans, that's a sacrifice. And we need to think like that, and we need to understand that our lives from A to Z, from the cradle to the grave, is a continual sacrifice that we must sacrifice. You know, King David once said, I will make no sacrifice that costs me nothing. So sacrifice is going to cost you something. It is going to cost you that Saturday afternoon to go visit with a brother or sister. It is going to maybe cost you something financially. So to, to give more and to spend less, that's a sacrifice. But the excellencies of Christ are of so much greater value that those things should be nothing. And so a life that is marked by faithful service is a life that is a sacrifice in and of itself, daily, continually, and finally, as we see in Paul's life. But the next mark of a life of faithful service is perseverance. When Paul tells Timothy to look at the past aspect of his life. In verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, one of the most dearest and most cherished doctrines that was recaptured during the Reformation was the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And uh, Wayne Grudem would define as this. He would say, the perseverance of the saints means this. It means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. This is a definition by Wayne Grudem, but no doubt Wayne Grudem is not our authority. Rather, Scripture is. And so let me read to you from Ephesians 1 13 through 14. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jude 24 through 25 says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. John 10, through 28 Jesus says... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And listen to this, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're in the hands of Christ, no one can snatch you from his hand. There is great assurance there, friends. Paul persevered in his life until the end. And just taking a quick survey of Paul's life, you know, we could see that Paul barely escaped Damascus via a basket, right? Paul was stoned in Lystra. He was beaten and jailed in Philippi. He was jailed and imprisoned in Jerusalem and in Rome multiple times. And then Paul tells us in his own words in Second Corinthians, as he's defending his apostleship and his sacrifice to the church, he says this, he states, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of. I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm I'm talking like a madman, he says, with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Now that's an anxiety. Brother Eric, did you hear that? <laughs> you think about that. Even Paul had that anxiety. The great Paul had that anxiety in the weight of caring for the churches. Paul went through a lot yet Paul persevered for the cause of Christ. He wanted to remind Timothy of his perseverance. He wanted him to reflect on his own perseverance of his past life and his in all of his life from the beginning of his ministry even till now as he's about to die. But he wants him to reflect on this and he says, "I have fought the good fight. Fight here is uh, the Greek word agon, and is where we get our word agonize from, or agony. And the picture that Paul gives us here is one of two wrestlers fighting it out to the point of agony. However, Paul was not just in a fight. Paul was in the fight. The fight that all Christians fight It's a fight that Paul tells us about in Ephesians when he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Being a faithful servant of Christ can be agonizing at times. Do you understand that? It can be agonizing, and if you believe something differently, someone has sold you a false gospel. They've sold you a false gospel. Paul fought many battles in his ministry, yet he did not waver and he remained steadfast. Many battles came from the outside pagan world. Many battles came from within his own ethnic brothers, his Hebrews. Many battles, unfortunately, came from within the church itself. Many battles did. Yet, Paul persevered. And he was faithful to the master who enlisted him unto the end. Paul ran and now has finished the race. Paul's race was a marathon, it took endurance. It took unwavering dedication. It took discipline, and it took sacrifice, as we've already mentioned. And as, the, as he crosses the finish line, he has the he has absolutely nothing left in him. He has given it everything he has. There's nothing left. You know, yesterday we went to a cross country match as my daughters run cross country. And I just couldn't help but to think of this word picture that Paul is giving us here as uh, these young kids are just just giving it everything that they got. These kids are running three miles in 20 minutes or less. It's, it's amazing to see these kids do this. But these kids that are just giving it their all, many of them are walking across the, the finish line with, with vomit on their shirts. They're, they're foaming at the mouth. Many of them were. It's, yeah, it's quite amazing. But And gross, too, at the same time. But they are giving it everything that they have. They have disciplined themselves in the morning, at practice, throughout the week, and they have run their race, and they are giving it everything that they have. There's nothing left in them as they cross that finish line. And it was just a word picture to me. And it, was just, it just made me think of Paul here at the end of his life. And he's given it everything he has. He has everything on him. And not everything on his shirt. Blood and vomit and spit and everything. He's given it everything that he has. There's nothing left in him here at the end. And he tells us, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? The writer of Hebrews tells us this, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that the race is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul had a course. Paul had a track set out for him by God. God was the captain of Paul's ship. God is the one who set this course out for Paul's life. God had a job for Paul to do, and Paul would not leave this world one second before God was done with him. you think about that? Do you look at your life like that? Do you have such a purpose that you will not leave this life until God is done with you? You are immortal until God is ready for you to come home. He has a course for your life. Do you, do you, you think about that in those terms? That you have a purpose and you have a destiny in this life and greater, yeah, a destiny for us in heaven. But God has a job for you to do as well. And so what we must do is we must run that race, and we must run it focused on Christ. If you get this purpose, and if you get this meaning in your very own life, you will run with an endurance. You will endure many hardships, and you will persevere through the trials of this life and of this world. You know, Paul, like Jesus, had a ministry to fulfill, and it was his joy to fulfill it as it was Christ. So is it your joy this morning? Is it your joy to run the race that God has set before you, to run it with endurance, to persevere? Because, friends, you need to run the race, and you need to finish the task that God has set out for you. Do not give up. Do not give in. You must persevere but finally Paul states that he has kept the faith simply put Paul guarded the deposit to which God entrusted him Paul was to safeguard the truth of the gospel and he defended it against the attacks of the Gnostics he defended it against the attacks of the Judaizers and he defended it against the attacks of the plethora of false teachers that came along, it was absolutely exhausting for him. Day in, day out, day in and day out. And we think that we're in a vacuum in our day and age with uh, the technology that we have to fend off and to have to deal with false teachers, but it was no less than Paul. <laughs> it was relentless of the attacks that Paul had to defend. And so, but Paul, at the end of his life, he, he's laying down his guard. He is laying down his guard only for Timothy to pick it up. His life is over. His life is moments from death. He's saying, Timothy, pick up the guard. You've got to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. He even tells him this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 2 Timothy 1 14 says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you, Timothy. Paul's time was over. The sun was setting on his ministry, and it was rising on Timothy's. You know, the same is true for us today. The sun has set on Timothy's life many years ago, it has risen for us. And we, like Paul and like Timothy, we must guard the deposit that has been entrusted to us. We must deliver the message intact as it has been as we have received it. From one generation to the next we must protect the truth of the gospel. Compromise is not an option. Faithfulness is a must and perseverance is a prerequisite. You know, a common misunderstanding about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is that we somehow have to grit our teeth. We have to pull up our bootstraps, and we just have to, we have to wheel ourselves unto the end in order to be counted as worthy and to be counted uh, as one who persevered. And unfortunately, the title of the doctrine is a little misleading because it might be better stated, as some have suggested, that it would be better stated the preservation of of the saints because we are preserved by god and he is the one who holds us in his hand he is the one who seals us and he is the one who will deliver us and see us to the end and this is to his glory to our benefit you know many struggle with this wonderful doctrine but we must understand that it is one of the most beautiful truths that is revealed to us in all of scripture Regarding our salvation. You know, if you think about it, if you survey many uh, Muslims who have come to know Christ, they will tell you, if you ask them, what drew you to Christianity? And a very common theme for many is the fact that there is assurance in Christianity. Because in Islam, there is no assurance because there is no Savior. But with biblical Christianity, there is absolute assurance because there is a Savior. And we have that, friends. We have that. We have that assurance of our preservation because He is the one who holds us in His hands. You know, by all means, there is always the twin truths of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Uh, no question. You know, there is no doubt uh, an, an exorcism here to Timothy to, to persevere to fight to fight, to run the race and to keep the faith however by looking at Paul's life Timothy would have also seen that it was God who had already won the victory he would have seen that it was God who was carrying Paul across that finish line there at the end Timothy would have seen that it was God who kept Paul not Paul who kept God. Paul's words to Timothy would have been, no doubt, a great source of exhortation, but it would have simultaneously been a great source of encouragement as well because he would understand that God will preserve me until the end as well. So the mark of a life of faithful service is a life that is sacrificial. The mark of a life of faithful service is a life that perseveres and yet simultaneously is preserved by God. But now we come to the final mark of a life of faithful service revealed to us here in the Scripture. And it is one who is confident. It is one who is confident. Paul asks Timothy to look at the future aspect of his life in verse 8 when he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul rested, believed, trusted, and was confident in the promises of Jesus. You know, in the parable of the talents, Jesus, uh, in this parable, he tells of the servant of whom the master entrusted him with his great wealth. And to that faithful servant, the master says this. We we all know this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Any true Christian longs to hear these words of their Savior. Any true Christian wants to hear Jesus say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. We know that it is in that place, that is where we will be, we will be most satisfied. We will be of m- most peace and joy. That's, we should long to hear the word of Jesus say that. If you don't, then there's something wrong. But any true Christian truly longs to hear Jesus say this. But Paul was confident that he had the crown of righteousness waiting for him after he took his last breath Why? Why was he confident in this? Because Jesus is the righteous judge. He is the righteous judge. And judge here is not judicial judge that we may think of a judge sitting on a bench. No, this is in this context, he's still thinking of this athletic event. He's thinking of Jesus as the judge of one who will make the right call in an athletic event. And Jesus would make the right call to bestow upon Paul. His rightful reward. Jesus would make that right call. And you can almost visualize Paul standing before Jesus in a, in a stadium. And, he's, and he's, the race is over. He's completed the athletic event of two wrestlers. He's, he's finished that race. And he's standing here in a stadium. He's done it. He's done everything. He's given it his all. And he bows down as Jesus places that crown of righteousness on his head. You can see that. But unfortunately for many of us, we do not acknowledge the hope of heaven that we have. We far too much and far too often have little value of the hope of heaven that we have. We do not value it like we should. You know, we we settle too much. Do we not? You know, some people I've heard say that that Christians are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I do not believe that. Rather, I think that we are too earthly minded, thus we are no earthly good. You know, we we settle too much for the pleasures of this world and of our own culture that we are of little value to the world around us. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said this. He states it a lot better than I could. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, and sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so if we were, if we were truly heavenly-minded, and we, if we were truly understanding of the rewards that await us in heaven, the excitement, the joy, and yes, the rewards, this world would look at us and they would wonder. This world needs this, friends. This dying world around us needs to know the hope that we have they need to know because of any other time in history our culture needs it they need to see hope that we have in christ now when we consider rewards and the hope of heaven i do think that it's important that we understand properly what those rewards are because someone may ask well is jesus not enough Is Jesus not enough? Absolutely. Jesus is absolutely enough. Jesus is our ultimate reward, and he is our greatest treasure. However, when we are in heaven, we will be given rewards. But those rewards are not rewards like we think of here and now and that we are here to consume them. No. Those rewards will be, listen to this and listen carefully, Those rewards will be the means by which we experience the glory of Jesus all the more. You know, think about that. The rewards that we have in heaven are not something that we consume. They are a means by which we will know and love and experience Jesus in a greater way. That's the reward, friends. You know, we we get these things and we give them back. Revelation 4.10 says, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So you, see you have this picture of these, these crowns that we're given, but yet we give them right back. Because the purpose of those are what? They are just to glorify and love God all the more. That's the purpose of them. And as Timothy is reading this letter, he needed to be reminded to be confident in the rewards that are ahead of those faithful servants of Christ. And the reward is a better knowing and a deeper understanding and a deeper experience of Jesus in heaven. You know, what could be greater? What could be uh, more sweeter and more precious than that? You know What could be more motivating to fight the fight, to run the race, and to keep the faith than to know that it is like if I run this race, if I fight this fight, that in heaven what is waiting on me is more Jesus. It's a deeper understanding of Jesus by being faithful in this life. What would be more motivating than that? That is the greatest motivation of all. And as Timothy is reflecting on the future aspect of his mentor's life, you know, it would have no doubt caused that longing for his own crown of righteousness and thus wanting to live a life of faithful service. And so Timothy had that confidence, or he should have been given that confidence, knowing that the character and nature of Jesus is at stake. He has made these promises. He will keep them. So the mark of a life of faithful servant is marked by sacrifice. You want to hear Jesus say, well done and good faithful servant. Live a life of sacrifice. You want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful service? Persevere unto the end. Though you may experience hardships, though you may experience persecution, though you may experience anything and everything that this world throws at you, you must persevere. And then finally, the life of faithful service is marked by confidence. Not in ourselves, in Jesus, but in the very character and nature of God himself. And finally, in conclusion today, you know, a fundamental basic fact of, of hermeneutics or uh, the uh, ter- interpreting scripture, what does this scripture mean? You know, what, does this, what does this text mean here? And if you want to get to the meaning of that, what we have to do is dig down and say, what did it mean to the original author and what did it mean to the original reader to read it? That's how you get to the bottom of a text to know what does it mean. And just to be confessional, uh, there's nothing more frustrating than to be in a Bible study and not to discount anyone's contribution, but it is it, it, there's nothing more frustrating than to hear someone say, well, to me, this text means this. And then the other person says, well, to me, this text means this or i well i feel like this or i feel like that i don't mean to be crass and i don't mean to be you know uh, to not appreciate anyone's input but i don't care what people think and i don't care what people feel when it comes to the study of god's word i simply want to know what it means and i want to apply it to my life and i want to be conformed to the image of christ and so we misunderstand that there's, there's always one a meaning to the text and what the original author and the original reader meant for it to be. And we look at it now and we apply it to our lives. And that's the glory of the Word of God and the fact that there are a thousand different applications to any given text. One meaning, thousand different applications. And as many applications as there are people. And we can see that very clearly here As we read, Paul say this. He says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So all the scripture is applicable to everyone, right? It is applicable to everyone. And it is no less applicable to us today. So as we read this text today, dear friends, these words of exhortation and encouragement to Timothy are not only implicitly applicable to us, but they are outright, downright, explicitly applicable to us today as well. We are to look at these words from a pastor to another pastor who is struggling. And we are to be motivated to live a life of faithful service by being sacrificial, by persevering, and by being confident in Christ, knowing, guys, that there is a reward for us in heaven. Have you loved his appearing? Have you loved his first appearing when he walked among us on this earth? Do you you love that fact that God put on flesh, dwelt among us, laid down his life for the sins of all who would believe, rose again from the grave on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of God? Do you love that appearing? Because if you do, this is downright explicitly applicable to you. These rewards are awaiting you. But also, do you you await his second appearing? Are you anxiously awaiting his second appearing when he will come back in his glory? When he comes back to get his bride? Because if you do, this is for you and this is applicable to you and so dear friends if you want to hear jesus say well done my good and faithful servant there are marks in scripture that we see there are marks of what a life of faithful service looks like a life that is sacrificial make the appropriate sacrifices today it is a life that is marked by perseverance you must persevere. You must endure until the end. But know this, that you don't have to grit your teeth and bear it. You don't have to will yourself into the end because it's God who will preserve you to the end, and you are in his hands, and no one can take you out. And then finally, be confident. Be confident in the character and nature of God. He is the one who will see us through, and he will is the one who who will reward us on that day because he is the righteous judge. Let us pray.